Well, uh, the thing that came first was 906 Adventure Team. I wanted it to be something in whatever shape or form it took over time to be something that inspired people, motivated people, served people, most importantly, served people, motivated people, got people off their ass who weren't currently being served by somebody. KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on today's episode, we talk to the director of adventure himself, Todd Poquette of the 906 Adventure Team. We talk about the 906 races, Polaroll, Margie Gessick, The Crusher, we also talk about Todd's passion for youth cycling and youth development. Before we get into all of that, though, I'd like to start with maybe an apology. Um, Sheldon told me that our last episode slash not an episode was maybe a little dark. <laughs> and uh, I didn't mean it to be dark. So, Sheldon, you Over, thought it was... Overshadowing of pandemic. <laughs> I, maybe it was just from editing, and maybe I was in a dark place, but maybe it had kind of a dark tone. That's not what we were trying to accomplish. This episode, you find a little bit more enlightening. Yeah, you know, just leave it to Todd to bring everything back to... Uh, Our, bring us back to our senses. <laughs> yeah, Todd is kind of a... I, I feel like he should be a motivational speaker. I, I think he's well on his path. I mean, all you have to do is follow him on Facebook, and you're like... Ah, oh, I'm being really lazy. I need to do something today. <laughs> and he gives us a very good dose of that a little later in this episode. Um, Sheldon, amongst all this craziness and uh, these different things happening in the world, we kind of glossed over a couple races that actually happened. Um, and uh, I feel like we need to give them a little bit of time. And uh, um, so one of, one of the biggest ones... Um, amongst all of these uh, postponed races and canceled gravel races, the Mid-South, formerly um, Land Run, uh, actually went on, and um, it was a muddy, muddy year this year. Yeah, and uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Matt and Jenny Acker, uh, went down to Stillwater and competed in it, and Matt debuted a new bike for Salsa. Yeah, it was a single-speed bike. And if you listen to their episode, Matt hints towards this new bike release that he was going to ride for Mid-South. But uh, it was a mess of a year. It rained, and the uh, the dirt there tends to turn to clay and get really stuck up into your, your bike. And he... Could have been coincidence, but he had the best bike for the job. No derailleur, no drivetrain to get all screwed up. And it, so he knocked out a uh, first place in the single speed category, but mm-hmm. even more impressively, an eighth place overall. C- crazy. Insane. Amongst a field of 
a lot of pros and heavy hitters. He comes in eighth place overall. Insane. So, Matt, what a ride. And um, what's what's the bike called? It's called the Storm Chaser. The Storm Chaser, yeah. And uh, cool and new bike. And it was bike. perfect. <laughs> Lived up to its name. It was perfect. Now, another insane race, insane ride um, that uh, has been going on for days is the Iditarod Trail Invitational. And this, Sheldon, tell, tell them a little bit about what in the world this thing is. What, at, <laughs> it, least, at least as far as you know. I'm, uh, most people probably know the name Iditarod from there's a sled dog race. And it's a thousand miles from Anchorage to uh, Nome, Alaska. It's been going on for decades now. Um, but what most people probably don't know is you can either race this on skis or on a fat tire. And one of our Michigan own uh, was out west, and over the course of 22 days, tie. It was a three-way tie between three of the competitors. Uh, Jill Martindale, first place women's and first place tied overall. overall. Yeah, twenty-two days out, trudging through negative forty-five degree weather. Uh, I I can't even fathom. Com- I mean, completely of- completely self-supported. Yep. Um, I mean, talk about a so uh, you know social distancing. Go ride your fat tire up in the middle of Alaska in the winter. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think Jill won the social distancing award. <laughs> Man, what a crazy thing to start that race um, like a month ago, and the world was fairly normal, and I, to come back and it's just be insane. <laughs> We're going to get Jill on the show. We sure hope so. Jill, please come and talk to us about your experience. That would be... I I wonder if they told her what was going on in the real world, or did she just... Were they like, don't let her... You don't want to get into her head, just let her race? I mean, she was updating her social media throughout. Sure. Um, So I'm sure she had an idea. but, uh, But yeah, so congratulations to Jill. Holy cow. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that whole experience. And again, Jill, I, I hope that you come and, uh, and tell us and everyone else about how the Iditarod went for you. Absolutely. Speaking of races, Sheldon, I've been kind of holding on to this for a while, and I wanted to tell you a few weeks ago, but then with everything happening, um, we didn't quite get a chance to talk about this, but, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, before everything kind of went down, I signed up for a big race for the fall. Now, I'm kind of hopeful that this will still be going on. But, uh, but yeah, so Sheldon, I signed up for the Belgian Waffle Ride, uh, North you Carolina. Did. Yeah, Asheville. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I that, bet that sold out pretty quick, didn't it? Um, I don't know. Like, it wasn't – I think I signed up for it a couple weeks after it, it dropped, so – I don't so, know. And probably it's kind of in a state of I mean I know that the uh San Diego Belgian Waffle Ride was moved from the the spring to I think October sometime. Um this one is scheduled for the end very end of August um in Asheville, North Carolina. Um hell of the North Carolina. Yep. Yeah, um actually it's it's going to be a trip for my brother's 40th birthday. 
and oh, no. um, he, ride. yep so he wanted to sign up for it so i was like hell yeah i'm doing it too and uh, another brother signed up for it as well so we are excited and i hope that everything is kind of back to normal at that time so i can but that's yeah that's going to be my big like outside of michigan race for 2020 if, so you have to know what questions i i've got in line for you right what bike i mean knowing belgian waffle ride it's like there is no perfect bike i mean hey listen this we might be getting ahead of ourselves like there may not even be a race (laughs) but i i don't know i'll probably just ride my gravel bike it's actually the majority of it is on uh pavement i'm pretty sure yeah Yeah, but then like it goes from pavement to straight up single track so (laughs) i think i'm gonna want something that can handle the single track. But I this is a conversation that hopefully we will continue to have because hopefully there will be a race in the future. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know that um, that's awesome. That's in the future. And, and uh, I hope that there's any racing in the future, but uh, <laughs> I hope that that can be kind of the tail end. Well, not really. I mean, it's August, so not the tail end of my season, but I hope that can be a part of my season. <laughs> It sounds like most of the Michigan gravel is going to be in the fall, so this might be the beginning of this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I bet the reason most of you are here is to hear from the Marquette Madman himself, Todd Paquette, the director of adventure from 906 Adventure Team, co-creator of Margie Gessick, the crusher in the infamous polar role. For some of you... Todd needs no introduction. You may already have a love-hate relationship with the man from participating in a few of his events. And for those of you that don't know him, we hope that this gives you a chance to peek into the mad mind of Mr. Todd Poquette. Ladies and gentlemen, hashtag blame Todd. Um, you know, people can't see how you look, right? They can see? They, do you want them to see or do you not want them to see? Is there something wrong? No, it, it's perfectly fine. You guys want any? Sure, pour, oh, me, pour me a heck? few fingers. Oh, I need to go get a Guinness. You know, Todd, that was a question of mine. Um, are you a beer guy? Yeah, Black Rocks. Um, my go-to when it's in season is Hop Slam. For sure, yeah. There we go. There's this is there. Guinness again, yeah, huh? Guinness. Guinness again. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, we're just leaving Hop Slam season. Uh, just as COVID nineteen took siege across the land, Hop Slam ran out. <laughs> that doesn't uh, surprise me whatsoever. No, there's a ton of it. It's just south of the bridge. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's just an embargo at, at uh, the Straits of Mac. <laughs> embargo. <laughs> well, all the Upers were like lobbying to close the bridge. I mean, yeah. but they've been trying to do that since before COVID. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I went to school at Lake State, so I know all about the uh, the trolls down here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a pent up aggression in the, uh, the happy Upers. <laughs> <laughs> now are you originally a youper did you grow up up there yeah i did nice where are you from marquette no uh grew up down in glad well born in iron mountain and then grew up in gladstone okay and then just moved around a lot and ended up back here 
I, you guys are getting me. I literally started, uh, I had to do all my online training this morning for online coach training. Started at 9.16 a.m. and wrapped up at 4.37 p.m. Holy cow. Jeez. Seriously, dude. Are you, you're training to coach or, I mean, to be a coach or you're training coaches? Recertifying myself. Recertifying yourself. Gotcha. And it's the same training that all of our coaches go through, but I go up to level three and not, not everybody goes that far. So not everybody feels the same amount of pain. Level three is, it just takes a long time. And this is for, is it's, is it Miska or what? Uh, well, we're part of the NICA league. NICA. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Out of Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, I feel like the only thing Todd's get up right now is missing is he needs a shreddy electrical tape mustache. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I should have done that. I tried to bring a couple props in from people that are part of the races. The hat is from Tanya. Okay. This is from Rob Mendering. The the velocity. uh, You got to explain. This is a, a... uh, we you only hear audio in podcasts, so you have to explain what you're showing, Todd. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, I still get this lecture all the time. <laughs> yeah. So Tanya made this wonderful. I guess it's crocheted, crocheted like this beautiful. Wait, cro- wait is it crocheted or crotcheted? <laughs> and she's so she mailed it to me blindly. I had no idea who originally sent it to me. And, um, yeah, that's, that's where this thing came from. Well, we, and we, and got it's, that, it's, uh, we got that white claw thing in the mail, all anonymous. And we finally figured out some clues on it. And then COVID ha- happened and we haven't been able to go through our plan of, of announcing how, how we figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So that'll, tell, tell me what's the white claw thing. I, I'm not in on that. So, oh, so pull it off the wall. Show. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, do you know what white claw is? First of all, yeah. it's yeah. just like a really shitty drink. Right. But uh, Sheldon likes to bring it in and drink it from time to time. When I'm drinking a nice craft beer, he brings in a White Claw. And um, and so I got into the habit of just saying, hey, listen, no White Claw. And uh, we mentioned that it would be great to have a sign down in our studio that says no effing White Claw. But someone did this needlepoint. Hold on. I'm going to grab it. <laughs> And they sent it with these clues and things, and we finally started to get some stuff figured out about it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love and it. I mean, we we're going to go down Friday and the Thursday before we were going to leave, uh, the entire restaurant service, everything was uh, closed. So we now we just have to wait for this virus to pass so we can start getting into the clue bus again i mean listen that's the only that's my most the biggest reason i want this whole virus thing to be done so we can continue with this scavenger hunt that they put us through <laughs> it's wonderful that's great again so the hat is of course a unicorn which is yeah. which uh is a reference to margie gessick i yes. assume and yes. then and then the uh the cup that's the cr- is that a crusher cup or what is uh, you know not so really the- right Titanium Velocity Cup uh, came from Rob Mendering, mm-hmm. our one of our photographers, photographers for all the events. And actually, I can credit them for tipping us off to the Titanium Cup idea for a Crusher. Okay. Really? So that's yeah. where that came from. Yeah, because 
I got a wheel set that came to me uh, from Velocity. Opened it up. There's the cup. I looked at the cup. I'm like, that would be awesome for Crusher because we weren't sure yet what we were going to do. So thanks, uh, thanks Rob. Thanks Velocity. Appreciate that. Then what's what? What do the Polar Roll finishers get? Frostbite. <laughs> Demoralized. <laughs> well, we do belt buckles. Okay. Have you, have you guys seen one of those? Uh, no, you have one laying around. Hold on. All right. So that is. Oh, oh nice. that's badass. Isn't that badass? So it's that the is... um, it's the basically the logo of yep. the of the bear or the polar yep. bear, um, yep. on a. On a like a forged belt buckle that looks fantastic. That, that thing looks like it weighs like five pounds too. <laughs> it it's got to weigh a pound. It's heavy. <laughs> this this is truly like the polar opposite of the Margie buckle because the Margie is just simple. It's hammered out. Simple, that's it. that's hammered. intricate. This is art. Yeah. Yeah, the polar buckle is art. Well, I saw you that only, you only have to lose like half your toes to earn it, right? <laughs> Yeah, we were doing, prior to this year, we were doing a random deal. So we'd say, before the race, okay, there's a random percentage of people that will get a belt buckle. Nobody knew what the percentage was. So it'd be like, let's say 4%. But it would be 4% of the finishers. So you're actually, you're encouraged to finish so that we have to give out more belt buckles. So it's, uh, it's not a it's a percentage. It's not necessarily a time cutoff. Is that what you're saying? Correct. It was just like the top four percent. Yeah, but that could be more or less depending on how many people would finish, and depending on the conditions of the certain year as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like 2019 was so bad that technically, by the percentage we had set, we didn't even have to give belt buckles to everybody that finished on the podium. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did it anyway. We did it. Well, good. Thank you. That's that's. I'm sure they appreciated that. I saw that recently. You just. Um, it was either like yesterday. You 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 put out the invitations to the the triple crown. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, what are the yesterday? De- yesterday. Uh, what what are the details of the of the whole triple triple crown deal that you're doing? This is the first year, right? Or the first time this that you? Year, yeah. First year this year. Uh, the details are top secret unless you're in the triple crown. Well, you could just tell us what it is, right? Sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we dreamt it up, I think 2018 sometime. Uh, and it basically was, you know, I was looking at the races thinking, okay, well, what, first of all, what entices somebody to want to go through this much punishment? And then once you have, well, then what? Like, what are you going to do with all this badassery that you've spent years honing? (laughs) (laughs) So it was the Triple Crown. It's like, let's take these three events. Let's come up with a fourth. Um, I wanted to do another event anyway, and it felt like this would be a good idea to kind of pay homage to the accomplishments of the people who achieved Triple Crown status. And that's all we know. I haven't even decided yet, as we're sitting here tonight, I don't know for sure what that looks like when we run it the first time. Sure. I can only imagine it's going to be completely hellish for whoever lines up on that. Are, so is this is this like live, are we live right now? Is this going to be part of it? Yeah, we're, we we're, yeah, we started right. immediately. Okay, okay. Uh, 
So my question to you, I'm curious. I'm going to ask you guys. Whoa, neither whoa, one of you are in the. <laughs> neither one of you are in the triple crown, right? No. Negative. Okay. Sheldon, you're going to go for it. Uh, I don't even own a mountain bike, so I have to figure that out. But that wasn't really an answer. You can has has anybody done RG on drop bars? <laughs> Nobody's done it yet. You could be the first. Uh, and has anybody done Crusher on a single speed yet? Yes. Ah, damn. Yes. Really? There has been a single speed. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Several. Well, Alexandra was here last year and she did it. Okay. Oh, that's right. She and, knocked and, it out of boots and everything. Well, yeah, actually. Here, check this out. Here's a picture of Alexandra, right? Oh, right, right. That is insane. She's wearing sandals. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So I have to do Crocs, I guess, right? <laughs> no, you need to go no shoes. Oh, you know, I used to be a barefoot runner. I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. I'm not sure barefoot cycling needs to become a thing. No. Um, no. No, neither of us have uh, – Neither of us have even done any of your races, Todd. Well, we're both signed up for Crusher this year. Okay. So that's My wife, Sheldon, you were going to do Crusher, right? I'm signed up. Last year were you gonna do it or did it not work out? I thought uh, last year. I, I, I was going to, but then I couldn't get anybody to watch my dogs. There you so go. So okay. I got stuck down here, yeah. That's but why I am I am registered and all set this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just have to figure out which bike I'm gonna ride. I have two that are Cape like crusher capable, so crusher capable. <laughs> I, I just have to decide if I want gears or no gears. We'll see. What are the options? What do you? What do you uh, got? I've got a uh, brand new bolt cutter, and I can fit in six fifty Bs. I can do two point ones, and then I've got a all city nature boy that in six fifty Bs I can run forty sevens. Single speed though, right? Yeah, the all city is a single speed. All, yeah, and the um, the bolt cutter will be geared. Yep. Oh, both would work. Yeah, yeah. You should do single speed. <laughs> There's a good chance that was my original plan. He doesn't need more uh, prodding <laughs> to <laughs> make bad decisions, Todd. <laughs> but that's what we're here to do. We're here to encourage dumb ideas. <laughs> well, Sheldon's all about that. <laughs> I'm going to ride an old. Um, it's a 29er mountain bike. It's like a two by ten, and uh, yeah, it'll be fine. Whatever. Uh, hardtail. Yeah, hardtail. Yeah, that'll work too. I did it the first year, so this is when it was here on Mountain Crusher, and I think the first year I did it was like 160, 165. I did it on a Borealis Crestone, just okay. set up rigid, running 29 plus. I think I was running the tire choice was WTB Rangers, and it was perfect. Now you are going to do it like you're going to do a solo version of it, correct? Yes, in May. And you're gonna are you gonna ride a Bo Jackson or what do you? Yeah, I'm gonna ride that Bo Jackson. Do you think that the drop bars are gonna going to help a bit? Just in terms of some of the longer straight roads, I think so. You know, I guess that's the theory. We'll find out. Ask me on uh, May twenty fifth. You know what? <laughs> Honestly, I think I will because that's my one dilemma. Um, I'm more of a drop bar guy, anyways. So I feel mm -hmm. like riding a mountain bike, I'm going to be really missing the different hand positions and all all that. So 
that's my one mm. stipulation of riding the mountain bike. But you're most comfortable in the drops. Um, in the drops are just like what the drop bars can give you yeah. in terms of uh, um, options. Right. Being, a- being able to move around and yeah. change your position. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For all of the races that we do, you know, because we get asked a lot of times, what should I ride? What should I bring? And my my stock answer to that, and it's not to be a smart ass, is I always tell people, you if you got multiple bikes, ride the bike that you are most comfortable on, but more importantly, most confident on. Mm. I say confident because the events are such a head game that, you know, if, if uh, for some people, like the difference between finishing and not finishing could be, you know, they get 65 miles in the Margie. Somebody talked them into riding the bike that they weren't totally sold on using. And that be- starts to become their reason that they're not doing well and why they're struggling. And then pretty soon it turns into why they quit. Yeah. Uh, Head games. Now, before we get too far, Todd, I think we need to kind of back up and let's kind of lay the groundwork for all this stuff we're talking about. And there's a couple sure. ways we can start it. We can talk about 906 or the races themselves. I'm not sure which came first. Well, uh, the thing that came first was 906 Adventure Team. And really when we started that, races were never part of the plan or the long-term scheme. Although there, there really wasn't a long-term plan when we started it. What year would this be? So in December of 2014 is when I hatched the idea. And I think that's when we la- launched the Facebook page. Okay. It was November, December, 2014. Um, and really at that point we were a Facebook page. We were a logo and that was it. <laughs> I mean, we hadn't done shit. <laughs> and from there we just, uh, I'd say that we basically have proven or worked on developing a proof of concept for the past six or seven years. Now, because, did you, did you, I don't mean to interrupt, but did you have, yeah, you were a logo, you were a Facebook page, but did you have a, a, a plan or a dream in mind of what this brand or what this uh, group would, what you would like it to, to become? I wanted it to be something in whatever shape or form it took over time to be something that inspired people, motivated people, served people most importantly, served people, motivated people, got people off their ass who weren't currently being served by somebody. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, you know, and in that, obviously, was included kids. I just didn't feel like, at least here in town, here in the, in the county, that there was anything. I, I should be careful. I'm not saying that there isn't anything. There's lots of opportunities for kids. Sure. But... Um, philosophically, you know, competitive sports, I could go off, you know, and share my feelings on competitive sports. I love competitive sports. I grew up playing them, but as I'm becoming a 45 year old father working slowly toward 50, I look at the structure of competitive sports differently today than I did then as, as a, as a kid on the team. And I just generally think that we can do better for kids. So, kids, adults, you know, um, what I say is I left corporate, which was uh, Cisco, they left corporate America to uh, 
impact my community in a positive way. Todd, hold hold on for a second as Sheldon's moving around. He's creating a lot of background noise. <laughs> oh, is that making a bunch of noise? I'm sorry. It is, yeah. I was trying to be all stealthy in my Crocs. I thought yeah, they would be a little quiet. At all. No, it was... <laughs> what are, you, are you getting a beer? Is that what you're interrupting? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so right. see it was it was totally worth it <laughs> i came prepared i i brought down three beers <laughs> i just As I, I almost tripped and went down yeah you have a whole bottle of maker's mark there yeah well not a whole bottle it's left over from actually it's crusher aged it's like perfect yeah. all right let's get i want sheldon to get settled again yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right i'm, I'm back <laughs> well I, you know I left the corporate world um, because basically I was looking at it saying, all right, I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm never home. I'm on the road all the time. You know, Stacy and I had lived in the Ghani Township uh, beginning in 2009. Uh, you fast forward to 2012. We had been here three years. We didn't really know anybody. And I knew a lot of people in the restaurants uh, because I dealt directly with people in food service. So, you know, on the restaurant side of things with owners and um, anybody working in, in hospitality, yeah, I was I was known, but outside of that, just it's like I was a ghost, did not exist. So no, no matter what I do, um, I can tell you I'm going to work 80 hours a week and I had I, I just had an issue with the fact that A, I'm not home, and B, all this effort is serving a corporation that's housed in Houston, Texas, that you know, I, I can't really argue one way or the other that it's helping Marquette County. So I just wanted to make a, I wanted to make a life change and that's what I did. Sure. I left it. So November, December, 2014, you launch yep. a logo, a Facebook page. Yeah. Yep. You have an idea. Then, then what happens after that? Well, we dabbled first in uh, youth racing, kind of focused on the high school side of things. And I think we had five kids when we started. It was me, five kids. We were trained for races. And we spent a year, year and a half kind of feeling that out and, and seeing if that's truly what serves the community the best. Um, I'm going to say, let's see, that'd be 15. So we go into 2016. I became familiar with NICA, National Interscholastic Cycling Association. Uh, they're not in Michigan, but they are in wisconsin our neighbor mm -hmm. so i contacted that league to see if they'd let us uh you know race there because we didn't i wasn't going to go this is no offense to anybody downstate but it was hard for me to fathom going downstate to race right through marquette uh seven eight hours whatever that trip is when we shoot over four or five hours to wisconsin uh, it just seemed like a better investment of time for our families. Yeah, it makes sense. So we joined that league, and that's probably that fall. So after the fall of 2016 is when things really started to shift for us, because at least from the youth programming side, because we ran through the NICA season, we had 30-some kids, and it just became crystal clear to me that <clears throat> there was half the team that was there to compete, but there was half the team that was there because it was the only youth cycling opportunity available in the community. So they were there because they want to ride bikes, but they don't want to compete. They're not there to race. So, I mean, you guys are 
you know, you're in the cycling world, you know, imagine 35 kids, half want to race, half don't. Hmm. Well, if you do any level of training, then you're familiar with the amount of effort and intensity required to get the kids who want to race at the level to compete with the kids in Wisconsin, because those kids are fast. Well, that level of intensity and that type of riding is not what the other half of the kids want to do. So nobody ends up getting the best experience, if that makes any sense. Sure. That was the lesson. I came out of that fall of racing. It was great. We did wonderful in Wisconsin. The kids, you know, raced their butt off, their butts off. Um, but that's what created the idea for Adventure Bike Club in the spring of 2017. Uh, and actually, I think it was John Yonkers and I. John's a board member of ours. He and I were kicking around, you know, we're starting about talking about this. We got to have two opportunities. We got to have a race opportunity. We got to have a adventure opportunity. What are we going to call it? Ended up with ABC adventure bike club launched it. And that has become probably our, our trademark on the youth side of what we do is adventure bike club. Now in 2020, how many kids do you now have in the club? Well, now in Marquette, so that first year we had 50. Now we have 200, and that's a cap. That's all we can handle. <laughs> we cap it there. I don't even know what the number would hit if I didn't cap it. So I, I, can th- I can see in my mind or I can imagine what um, a race <laughs> – team would look like you know you're you're practicing you're preparing you're you're uh and then you're going to races what does an adventure club look like in terms of the opportunities for the kids yeah so the cool thing is we've actually incorporated both of them so the nika team well the nika team officially starts nika racing the season starts in july july 1st okay before that those kids that are going to be part of the NICA team, they're participating for the first couple weeks. Not as it's, we're not NICA racing, we're not NICA training. They're riding as part of the Adventure Bike Club. So if you were to pull up on a, we do it twice a week, mid June through the end of August. Um, if you pulled up to Tourist Park, which is where we base camp from both both nights all all summer long, you would see. The huge 906 trailer, tents, um, I'm going to say 15 demo bikes, and, you know, the base camp section. And then you'd see upwards of 20 stations. What a station is, is basically a feedback A-frame with a feedback work stand, a leader pack, two-way radios for both coaches assigned to that station, a station kit to do ABCD bike checks before they leave for the ride. Um, The roster, medical information for the kids assigned to that station. So there's 20 stations, and when you roll up and everybody's there, there's 200 kids, and then I'm going to say this year it's going to have to be about 45 coaches. So we're pushing 300, 350 people when all the parents are there too. Um. But it's very well organized. I mean, you picture in your mind, shit, you got 200 kids, you have their parents, you have volunteer coaches. This must be complete madness. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, not to suggest that it isn't occasionally, but uh, it's actually very well organized because it's very systematic and they have stations they report to. 
they know where to go. They, you know, we're, we have a very simple and very refined system to create, help people create habits. Uh, so there's not a lot of fear, I guess, because people don't know where to go. So sure. Now what's the, uh, the ages that you're, that you're bringing into this? What's the youngest and what's the oldest? So the youngest would be five years old through high school seniors. Okay. And, you know, to your point, um, I don't remember who had said it, Trevor, was it you talking about, um, you know, on the racing, you, you can, you can grasp what racing looks like and what practice looks like right? For, for a high school race team. It's cool to have, you basically have this micro community of kids, um, all the way from your kids that are just leaving training wheels. In fact, this past summer, we had our first child show up on training wheels. I think he, he shedded those training wheels after the first round because he's like, I'm the only one with training wheels. Those things got to go. They're catching roots. Exactly, man. I mean, he was off of them like now. But we've got those young ones, and you've got the full progression, the full community of kids from five up to 17. And it's cool because I ride now today where I'm needed the most um, based on what coaches are there that night. So it's, I'll ride with the high school kids, but I'll also ride with the five-year-olds. And I remember one night when we were riding back to Tourist Park, and I had this group of five or six-year-olds, and we were, we're cruising back, and there was a bottleneck in the trail over by Tourist Park where two separate paths funnel into one, and it heads underneath the bridge into Tourist Park. Well, me and my little group of troopers were coming at the high school kids, and there are the kids you know, on the high school team were coming in hot. So they come zinging around the corner, 15, 18 miles an hour, and they zip into uh, to tourists. But those five-year-olds are sitting there, and you would have thought that they had just seen a superhero, because they, you know, all you could hear the oohs and the ahs. They're like, oh, they're so fast. <laughs> so it's cool to bring those kids together in this uh, two-hour community twice a week all summer, where. Even though you know some are racing and some are not, everybody is treated as equal. There's no delineation between you know elite, not elite, advanced, not advanced. All the ways that we like to separate and start to create these values of people. It's just adventure bike club. You like to adventure, Nika. You race, but we're all together in the same spot. So with the with the adventure club, um, are you working toward a goal with the? With the kids, um, is it a you have a few months to work towards something, or every single time you meet, you're just adventuring? So they do um, every week. They'll focus on a specific skill that we take from on the bike 101 or on the bike 201, uh, the training manual. So there's a progressive set of skills that will focus one a week for Adventure Bike Club. That's obviously one of the things that we want the coaches to focus on. But really, the, I'd say the big end goal on the Adventure Bike Club side is we want to help the kids develop a community, a community they identify with, a identity for themselves personally, something that they can call themselves. I, you know, I am this. I am good at this. I do this. These are my people. And then, you know. Beyond that, I think it's all about the development of the youth. 
that's what that's what the emphasis is because you know you've probably heard us talk about do hard things at the events or find your limits um crush or be crushed all these you know taglines that we have across the events mm-hmm. those while they're used maybe in a different tone at adventure bike club that culture from the races of no excuses you know show up and be self-sufficient durability toughness that is also leveraged on the youth side but in a very um i guess age appropriate way whereas we're actually there's no penalty for failure i mean you guys know what it's like uh in our in our adult life nobody wants to fail right which ends up causing us to not want to try new things and innovate a lot of times because we're afraid it'll fail well, on the youth side, we're trying to make sure that they don't grow up with that same anxiety over failure. We want them to try. Like, we encourage it. And I've been trying since last year to work with the coaches a little bit more on it, too, to say, if we ask the kids to do something, we need to be willing to do that something also, even if we're not good at it. Because if the kids see us willing to fail and actually failing, but sticking with it, that's a, that's a positive mentoring lesson. So as much as this sounds like it's about initially about uh, being physically healthy, the more you talk about it, the more it's about raising mentally healthy kids. I mean, more so than even the physical. 1,000%. I mean, you nailed it there. The way that we become mentally stronger is through physical taxation on our body. Because the way that you work through that, the way you survive Margie, the way you survive the crusher, uh, the way you go to the gym and, you know, build yourself, your personal strength is you become mentally tougher. And that's what we're trying to do with the kids. Because if I go back to, I'm just going to use this comparison real quick. When I was working in my corporate role, I was working and managing a sales team. So these guys were mid forties up to their mid sixties. So you get to interact with people that are very set in their ways. And you just, you get to, I guess, you know, do a little social experiment watching how they behave, how they handle defeat. At a point in time where corporately with Cisco, all of a sudden uh, innovation within the corporation ramped up at a unprecedented pace where all these uh, salespeople who had been working with antiquated equipment for years to do their order process and all of a sudden now they're being rushed in to the the next century of uh, laptops and you know, all these different sales tracking suits and it was tough <laughs> <laughs> there were some that really really did well and then there were a lot that struggled i mean there was it was like it was like watching the margie gessick actually <laughs> people were just quitting they're just, just people in the corner crying. And- <laughs> yeah, they just they couldn't make it. They just, you know, they did not have the adaptability required to transition. So that was interesting to, to watch. Uh, then I transitioned away from that and went kind of, I guess I'm going to say backwards in the career path spectrum and worked at Border Grill here locally. So then I'm working with a, a whole new range of employee, a lot of them college students. And that's where I got to observe kind of where our 
high school and college kids are coming into the workforce, you know, what is their, what's their take on jobs and what's their take on life? Um, so I kind of figured out where they're at. And what I figured out is the only way you're really going to be able to affect long lasting change for people is to get right to the start. And that's where they're about five years old and try to get in front of it. Because the one thing that I started to notice as I came back out of the corporate world where these guys were in their forties and sixties. Yeah, those guys were tough, but they were so tough and so hard and they were inflexible and they couldn't change. But then you come into the realm where you have tomorrow's future leaders with some of our high school and college kids and the resilience and durability just wasn't there. Um, so they would have been the ones that were the ones that are too scared to fail. So they weren't taking initiative or I would say, yeah, they're afraid to fail. They have a corrupted sense of what hard work looks like. Um, I don't know, you know, I, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory fashion. I'm saying this just in a very black and white. Here's where we are with a certain slice of our population that they don't understand what the hell hard work is. I mean, if they actually had to perform hard work, th they would probably collapse mentally because they don't have the resilience. They don't have the durability. Um, so I think that, you know, shall run back to the adventure bike club thing with, with the, uh, you know, is this more mental than it is physical? Absolutely. I mean, that's, what's going to set us all apart ultimately in happiness is are you mentally tough enough to you know handle what life throws at you absolutely <clears throat> so that's this has been going on for a few years and you said you're capped at 200 kids and i yeah can i add one thing there yeah we also we brought in delta county and gogebic county okay okay so we're running 75 kids in delta and 50 kids in Gogebic. Last year, our coach count was about 110. So we had ballpark 350 kids total for the year, 110 coaches. This year, we're forecasting 350 to 400 kids and probably 150 coaches. Holy cow. So you could, you could look at these just in terms of the numbers – and see that this has been a successful club, a successful endeavor. I'm wondering, though, apart from the numbers, mm -hmm. how have you seen this make a difference in your community, like you were saying? How have you seen this make a difference in the kids? Um, where have you seen this be successful in places other than just numbers? Um, that's a great question, because really, at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers. Right. You know, it is about are we actually affecting any meaningful change for these kids? And I think that what we're seeing is that there is, there is an offering for the kids who are currently being served by other um, sport opportunities. You know, the NICA kids also participate in downhill skiing, cross country skiing, swimming, wrestling, all that stuff. They're being served. We're really starting to reach, we're, we're actually reaching kids who kids and families who aren't even in cycling currently. Like they, they'll hear about it. Here's the biggest success story is, and this happens a lot now in the last year and a half. They hear about 906 Adventure Team. They hear about our philosophy. 
And right away, they think about their son, their daughter, their grandson, or their granddaughter who doesn't play any of the traditional sports, who doesn't want to dance, you know, just hasn't quite found his or her thing, which is okay. I mean, if you're at six, you don't have to have your thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of anxiety that parents and grandparents feel, you know, that and you know, well intended that kids got to have their thing, like they got to they got to be on the path forward. Um, where that's those are the kids that we're really getting to. The kids that aren't going to go out and play football, they're not going to play ba- basketball. And if they try it out, they're probably going to get cut from the team. That's Those are the great success stories right now. The other great success story that, and, and we've really, we didn't, this just kind of happened organically. It's not like this. There was no strategy to this. It's just happened. The, the program, like the demographic between boys and girls is about 40% girls and 60% boys. That, you know, that aside from reaching kids and families who don't currently have a community within the community that they identify with, I see that as our biggest success, that we're able to bring and create this little micro community of youth that is somehow naturally, almost naturally balancing equally between boys and girls. That's great. Now, with, I mean, I think all of us can agree on cycling is not the cheapest hobby mm. to, to be a part of. I mean, it, it, it is an expensive sport. Uh, in your community, have you figured out a way to help bring people into the cycling community that it probably initially could not afford this hobby? Yeah. Um, you know, we have, a, I mentioned it at some point a little bit ago, we have, we have about 15 bikes in Marquette demo bikes. Mm-hmm that uh, they are there for kids who don't have a bike or they show up and the bike is not going to be adequate for what the type of riding we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We have that resource. Uh, we also have scholarships that some of our sponsors have helped fund so that if we do have a situation where a family uh, doesn't feel that they can afford the onboarding cost, we can help supplement that, if not cover it 100%. So we're, we're covering it that way. You know, the... When you're dealing with kids from like five up to, I don't know where the break is. I'm going to guess and say maybe eight-ish, five to eight. <clears throat> the, the, you know, the equipment isn't that expensive. Mm-hmm. It's not as much of an issue. Uh, they, they typically can run what they brung. It's when we start getting up into that nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and you start elevating the speed and difficulty of the trail they can ride that yeah then the bike is becoming more of a liability if they don't have a good one mm-hmm. but we haven't even as we've reached in you know outside of the cycling community outside of families who are just well equipped to begin with we we haven't seen a ton of obstacles around getting kids on adequate equipment i think because you've got us trying to help um subsidize where we can um, with scholarships and providing bikes. But then we have four bike shops in town also that I think do a great job finding creative ways to remove barriers for families. But as you were kind of explaining the difference between the, your race league, I guess you would call it and the adventure club. um, I, 
before we started talking, I literally, I wrote this down, adventure versus competition. And mm. I wonder if you think of those two things as a verse or are they one and the same? Um, what, are there more pros on one side versus the other? No, that's a good question. You know, I've, I've actually, and that's a great question. I've shifted on it a little bit. I think, I think when I had, uh, when we came out of the fall of 2016 and I mentioned, you know, that was where we had this epiphany, like the kids aren't all getting what they want from this. We can do better. We can provide something to give the race kids the experience they want. And we can come up with something to give the adventure kids something they want. At that point, I might've leaned a little bit more toward thinking it was like a adventure verse. Um, competition sure scenario but i've shifted on it probably just from spending more time around it now and thinking about it i i think that obviously i'm probably gonna be accused of being biased on this because we're the 906 adventure team and all we do is talk about adventure but i think that competition competition as soon as we say competition what do you you know what what's conjured in your head well sheldon and i competing for something right like one of us is going to win and one of us isn't going to win would you agree with that yeah absolutely i mean i think you're being kind i mean you're gonna have a you're gonna have winners and you're gonna have losers in a competition yes winners and losers uh whereas with the, the with this adventure mindset in the spectrum of adventure it's more about what do you want this experience to be for you? And within this, this experience, you can have, let's say, whether it's Adventure Bike Club or Margie Gessick, you can have people sharing this adventure together who are there for different reasons, getting the most out of the experience for what they want to achieve from it, and, and by getting what they want, what they hope to get from the experience, everybody is in effect winning, improving, and finding their limits. Do you see that you can still accomplish your goals of these kids uh, uh, equipping the kids with um, these mental tools and physical tools? You can still achieve those goals in the context of adventure versus competition. I would contend that we can reach more kids and elevate more kids with adventure than competition ever will. And I'll explain that a little bit. Again, this isn't to say that one's better than the other. It's just to say that there's, there's a different way, you know, competition to me is uh, it's a, it's success is a limited is in limited supply. Like you said, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. It's also in limited supply because of um, roster restrictions, playing time, minutes. Hmm. Okay? That's also limited. So there's a lot of finite resources in competitive sports. The other thing I don't like on the competitive side is that I do think in in their initial inception for kids that uh, competitive sports, traditional sports were intended to be youth development activities to teach life lessons. But now I feel like 
competitive sports, traditional sports, football, basketball, baseball, wrestling, swimming, tennis, whatever else, track. I think they've turned into like corporate development tracks for kids six years old and up. Everybody, uh, not everybody, a lot of parents, again, this is well-intended, but I think that they, because of the pressures of our world, feel pressured to force their kids into these competitive tracks to prove themselves, thinking that what they do when they're seven and eight, what they achieve for themselves, what they win, how many minutes they get when they're seven, eight, nine, ten, like that is somehow going to predict the long-term success of their young adult life and then future adult life. Putting a lot of pressure on parents, putting a lot of pressure on kids. So I think that we've taken youth sports, and I think adults, for lack of a better term, I think we're ruining them. Now, on the adventure side, I actually had a kid who's graduating this year. I asked him, I said, what was the biggest difference between participating on the 906 Adventure Team race team and playing football or whatever else you did you know, the last four years? And he, he said a couple things. He said the first thing right away that came to his mind is, he said, at bike practice, I wasn't afraid to fail. And I, we didn't feel, I, and I wasn't yelled at if I failed. So if we did a drill and he didn't do what the drill you know, called for, there was no penalty. The other thing that he said that he enjoyed was that in bike team, whether it was Adventure Bike Club or the NICA team, the expectations for all the kids on the team were 100% the same. Nobody was treated differently. Nobody was expected to do different things. Like when we did this, everybody did this. And it didn't matter how fast you did it, but you needed to do it. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think with the kids that are coming in, particularly our really young kids, we're giving them space to sort of kind of get comfortable, get to know each other, develop socially, start to start to interact with adults that aren't mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, because that's important. You know, they do need to develop the ability to communicate with other adults. They're going to hopefully test their boundaries a little bit with those adults. And then hopefully the adults respond the right way. Appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriately. <laughs> but, you know, that is all, that's all part of self-exploration, self-realization, particularly when you're young. Um, and so I think in Adventure Bike Club, there's just this freedom, this lack of pressure to succeed now. Okay, because it's about Matt Johnson, one of our coaches, likes to say, with the 906 Adventure Team, there's no finish line. Because as soon as you as soon as you do X, we move the line. Hmm. Now you're gonna try to go, now you're gonna do this. Like you did this, took you a couple weeks to do this. Congratulations. Now we're going to work on this. So, you know, no finish line just basically means we're constantly moving the, the bar. The bar is always moving up. And But again, we don't pressure them to get to the bar. We just move the bar. We give them a goal. And then we let them spend the time working on the goal. And 
could take two days. It could take two weeks, and it might take till the the end of Bike Club. But they feel like they have the freedom to work on it, and they don't feel that pressure. Um, that's a, one of the biggest things I worry about right now with the Corona stuff and COVID nineteen is uh, mental health. You know, everybody being kind of shacked up and separated, fear. Um, and, and I bring that up only because I think in competitive sports, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear over scarcity of success and scarcity of opportunity to be successful. Well, what happens when you're fearful? You know, we said it earlier. If you're afraid, what aren't you going to do? You're not going to try that new thing. Yeah. You're going to be like, that's just natural. People are going to be afraid to put it all on the line to fear that they're going to fail and yet the only way you get anywhere in life is to put it all out there and fucking go for it sorry about that now we're explicit aren't we <laughs> hey well now you won't be the first episode i mean you can, <laughs> rob already took that title yeah, yeah sorry I mean, actually we're what are we an hour in we're almost we, an hour in yeah we're 57 minutes in and that was the first f-bomb i mean <laughs> that's, not, that's not bad <laughs> <laughs> i mean how many people have made it an hour into one of your races without dropping some f-bombs <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah that doesn't <laughs> i'm pretty sure your start lines are just a bunch of like grown adults just dropping f-bombs well I, you know the funny thing is i mean you know people who don't get the culture or get the the twisted family that that we are the, you know they'll see they they'll see a couple of us flip each other off <laughs> and that's like a greeting <laughs> i mean we're not mad we're like approaching each other somebody will flip somebody off the other one laughs you embrace you hug uh, that's just part of it man i mean there's just uh that's just part of the gig if you're sensitive you probably don't belong here <laughs> so that's a pretty good segue um when did you as a uh, organization start to look toward offering um events and opportunities for adults totally by accident um there was a an event here in town, a fat bike race that wasn't quite getting off the ground for I don't know why because I, you know, I I don't even know anything about the event. But anyway, there was an event that was going to go away. I was asked if um, if we wanted to try to take a shot at running a race, <laughs> and I have a tendency to just jump into things. So I was like, okay, sure. How hard can that be? <laughs> But you know, it was a good it was a good time to do that because the one the one thing I really wanted to do, and this wasn't for me. This was for the community, and this was for the trail orgs. It was let's do a point to point, which we've kind of you know developed a reputation for doing point to point events. Um, let's do a point to point. We're gonna. Go from Ishpeming to Marquette or Marquette to Ishpeming. We're going to feature trails groomed by both trail organizations, Ramba and the NTN. And we're going to make this point-to-point -point epic on groomed fat bike trails and really feature the what I think is very unique about Marquette in the winter and what the trail orgs here do better than anybody else in the country. So that was kind of the like the you know the cachet to polar roll was we're going to do a point to point 35 miles of a groomed route, which 
I'm not aware. I, I don't know who else does that. I think Kayuna does groomed single track. Frozen 40 does groomed, but I think it's a loop. Okay. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I felt like we had a niche there. Those other events are great, too. Um, I mean, I, I we were all shocked by the response we received to Polaroid the first year. I mean, the first year we did it, we had 280 people show up. Holy cow. It, it was nuts. It was just bonkers. You know, nobody knew what Polaroid was because it didn't exist. But what I heard from people was we were trying to do a bunch of videos. And, you know, again, we were trying to be on point with the branding and the marketing and pushing a message out there and just make it sound fun and inviting to any rider, regardless of their background, be it adventure, weekend warrior, race, whatever, just show up, ride your bike. And people said, we kept seeing videos, and we kept seeing the, you know this this angry bear and Polaroid. And <laughs> we're like, we had no idea what it was, but it looked cool, so we signed up. And from that, that was that was the catalyst on the event side. Polaroid was, it was nuts. That's and then um, from Polaroid, did was the next. You got to talk about Margie Gessick, like where that started, where. Um, <laughs> Was that the next event that you yeah. came up with? Okay. Yeah. So Polar Roll. Um, let me. I want to get the time frame right on this. The opportunity to run the fat bike race in 2015, in February of 2015, that opportunity was presented in this uh, November of 2014. So actually, yeah, that's right. So yeah, we did actually do a race right right away in the freaking beginning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <We're> together. <laughs> but yeah, because the first race was in 2015, February. We were part of the Great Lakes Fat Bike Series. We from the point we said yes, we'll do this. We had like 90 days to create an event. <laughs> Holy cow! And so that's how quick it happened. 90 days. We pulled it off. Um, great, you know, great success. Tons of fun. And then, you know, after that, we went back to, they went back to their trail stuff, the trail orgs. I went back to 906. We were focusing on kids. And then Danny and I, sometime around the 4th of July of 2015, just like hatched this freaking plan. You know, I think it was basically along the lines of, I think Danny has said in a podcast that we had coffee. I don't remember coffee, but maybe it was, over, it was over a bottle of Maker's Mark. Probably that's what. <laughs> there would be a better, a higher likelihood of that. <laughs> but we talked, and it was basically, we need to try a hundred mile event. There isn't one up here. We need to create a hundred mile event that does what everybody else doesn't do. We're going to go uphill from Marquette to Ishwamine. Screw this downhill stuff. <laughs> We're going to start in Harlow. We're going to come through South Trails or North Trails. We're going to go to South Trails. We're going to Ramba. I have no idea where the hell we're going to go and, and do this. You know, that, and that's when I looked at Danny and said, can you, put, can you put a route together? Can you make this work? You know, of course, Danny right away says, well, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, that's July 4th. The, the race ran the first time September 20th. Holy so cow. Roughly a 90-day window again. Jeez. <laughs> you know, where all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, we're going to run an event. It's going to be 100 miles point to point. I guess we should probably start working on it. 
And yeah, the thing, so we did the same thing with Margie, kind of the same recipe. Get get a logo, get some branding, market the hell out of it. Everybody that heard about it laughed and said, "That's really stupid. Nobody's going to do that." Um, I had people, you know, laugh at the name, and they're like, "What the hell is that? How do you say that?" And I'd be like, "Margie Gessick," and they're like, "That's so dumb." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, "No," and nobody up here knew. Well, not nobody, but most people didn't even know that Margie Gessick was a person. So you actually started telling us this story up at Iceman. Yeah. Tell us the story of Margie Gessick. Well, where the name came from. Yeah. I mean, I can't do the, I can't do the story complete justice, but what I will tell you is that after Danny and I decided to run another event, um, I started looking at, obviously we got to call this thing something. Uh, one of the ideas that was on the table, this is, it's kind of an inside joke and I won't get into it, but we, we had entertained calling it the red ass 100. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually on the table, but then we decided, nah, it's probably a little too far over the line for social. Well, well, uh, after this year, I know our, uh, our teammate Sebastian, uh, would have given you a little nod to that one. (laughs) (laughs) No pictures, please. <laughs> he had a, had a little bit of chafage after this year's. <laughs> could just be the chafed ass 100. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's legit. But so I started uh, what I what I was googling was iron, like iron ore history, Ishpeming, Michigan. Those were, that was the Google query. Uh-huh. And then I'd start, you know, doing some other. Uh, Google results just on local history, but I really wanted to try to tie, I wanted to come up with something that was going to pay homage to the historical background of our community. And that's mining. That's where I started. That's, you know, I mean, it was a, a, a mining town, still is a mining town. Well, as I'm doing the searching through Google, Margie Gessick keeps coming back. So I started digging deeper and it's truly... Uh, read a couple of the articles. Uh, Alexandra Huchin wrote a piece about Margie, and then Mining Journal did a great piece about Margie Gessick this fall after the race and really shares the history and his story and legacy in great detail. I'd highly recommend going to MargieGessick.com and reading those stories about Margie. <clears throat> but I was just uh, hooked on on the history the fact that every time you found a story about Margie, his name was spelled a different way. Like, and <laughs> how the Margie Gessick is actually his like an Americanized, Americanized version, an English version, I guess, of his Ojibwe name. Okay, not his real name. It's the I guess the name that was used in court documents. <laughs> so he led people to the Shining Mountain, which was Jasper Knob. That's where iron ore was first discovered. They did mine Jasper Knob. I think they spent a year or two there, but then found out that the ore was not high enough quality to be usable. And then from there, I guess they moved to Jackson Mine. And that's also, that's like over by Old Town Park where the transition zone is for Margie. Because he led them to that shining mountain, Jasper Knob, he was actually given stock in the first uh, iron company. The, the mining company that was trying to get the ore out of the ground. 
He never redeemed the stock and then died, I believe, in a mining accident. That stock would later be claimed by his daughter, Charlotte Kabagam. And that's where the story got super interesting because the mine over several, you know, tens, five, 10, 15 years had changed hands. Like one mining company sold it to another mining company who sold it to another mining company. And um, they were basically just trying to blow her off. Didn't want to allow her to lay claim to the, the stock that Marjorie had earned. Um, and that case ended up going through the Supreme Court and eventually Charlotte won. Oh, wow. So I was just like, this is this is the story in large part because I go around town, you know, asking people before I named it, like, hey, ever hear Margie Gessick? What do you know about Margie Gessick? And everybody'd be like, What? What'd you say? What'd you call me? <laughs> so Are you having a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it just I don't know. I for whatever reason I've I've had an affinity for Margie's story since we found it and that's where the name came from. The first year we ran the event guys we finished on jasper knob oh wow so the site of the original mine we finished there it was and it was also it's unfortunate we can't finish there anymore it's once you get to the top it's super isolated or just super small like you can't fit 30 people up there Hmm. and the first year we had like 107 people sign up so it's not like we had a ton but um Part of the reason we picked the knob was to honor the history as part of the story, but also because then it finishes, the finish line is at the top of a climb. So it just kind of played it. <laughs> you know, like you just rode 90 miles and now you need to do this leg burning climb to the finish line. It's like double bird at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> when did Quitter the Unicorn come into the picture? Oh, quitter. Uh, probably 2017 through uh, Josh, my buddy. He was working at Sidero at the time. Did we, Quitter start off as the stuffed animal or was Quitter automatically the live horse leading people out? No, Quitter originally was just like us. There there was no unicorn. There was no horse. Um, in the beginning, it was just, you know, to add salt to the wound when you can't make it. Now you have to text quitter. So we we were doing that from the beginning. Um, the okay, so the unicorn, the stuffed unicorn, I think came in in 2017. That was from Josh at Sidero. I still have actually quitters back there behind me on a shelf. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then the real unicorn came in 2018. As and like, to to like lead out the race is that what you're yeah 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 you know we uh, that the idea to run the unicorn so we had quitter in 2017 the stuffed animal I can tell you that I was having a conversation with somebody it was just before the 2018 race we were about seven days out and somehow a unicorn came up we were just talking about unicorns probably talking about quitter the stuffed animal. But somebody made a parting comment. I can't remember who it was. As they were leaving, they were like, man, it'd be fucking awesome to have a unicorn lead over it. <laughs> so they left. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you know, doing something. And then it just kind of, like, went back. It was like an echo. It was like, boy, it'd be fucking awesome to have a unicorn lead out the race. And it was like, we got to do that. <laughs> we're 
am I going to find a unicorn in se- within seven days? <laughs> <laughs> so I called. There's one woman, uh, Jessie. She wor- she was working at the ski hill at the time. And she's big into horses. She owns horses. And I, said, I was just I was picturing a really, really shady Craigslist ad. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that would make the story great, though. <laughs> I sent her a text, probably something to the effect of, you know, can you get me a unicorn to the start line of the Margie Gessick? <laughs> Her response was very concise. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, again, that's not like, I don't know if people think that we sit and have these, you know, uh, complicated strategy meetings. <laughs> it's like all organic and completely random. This, the stuff we come up with. And that's probably what keeps your events, I mean, notoriously unique. I mean, you talk to anybody that's been to been to one of the nine oh six events and they always everyone always says it's not like anything else. <laughs> the uh the one thing I'd say on the so this is consistent with the unicorn story. You know, it, it just it I remember um actually Somebody, I'm not going to say who, but somebody <laughs> told me the unicorn idea was stupid. They said, that's stupid. I, get, I hear this a lot to our ideas. You know, somebody will hear it at first blush and they're like, that's just dumb. Are you an idiot? <laughs> so I remember saying, they're like, that, you know, the unicorn thing's not going to work. That's just dumb. And I said, so well, you double down on it. Yeah, I'm like, well, we'll find out. We're going to be a real goddamn unicorn and take this race. <laughs> Jeremiah Bishop is going to chase a unicorn <laughs> through the Portugal ski trails. And now it's like, I don't know that people could talk about Margie Gessick without referencing unicorns. No, it's, it's, it's part of the race at this point. Yeah, I haven't even done it. I know all about Quitter the Unicorn. <laughs> and it's only been there since 2018. It wasn't since the beginning. That's, That's crazy. Um, the blame Danny and the blame Todd. Yes. So I'll, I'll add this um, because this is like the unicorn story. I think that we were actually in the process of signing the course in 2015, putting red arrows out. And I don't remember where I was. If it was in Harlow. It was either Harlow or South Trails because Ramba handles the whole West End as far as the signage. I was out on the course signing it. I remember we were at the bottom of a climb, looking up the climb, laughing, thinking, you know, those poor bastards. <laughs> this thing, it just popped in my head where it's like, they're going to be really pissed off when they get to this hill. And they're going to be <laughs> blaming me or Danny. And I'm like, no, we need some fucking blame Danny and blame Todd signs. <laughs> we're going to put a blame Todd and blame Danny at the bottom of every big ass hill so they know when they see that sign, shit's getting real. <laughs> And it's just another way to get in somebody's head because now you know you're screwed before you're screwed when you see one of those signs. <laughs> never thought anything like I did. That's so sadistic. But I never thought it would become a thing. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> All right. It made me laugh. It made me happy. So I said, we're going to do it. And that has really become a call, call sign also for the race, the blame Danny and the blame Todd. You know, we talked. We said earlier how there's some bleed over from the events into the youth side. Right. The uh, the cool thing to see is 
these kids that are on Adventure Bike Club run the NICA team that are part of a 906 Adventure Team, they see these events that also is 906 Adventure Team that have gained national recognition. Those kids feel like they are part of that. So there's a very positive reference where they're like, wow, I mean, look at, look at what we're part of. And this might be coming from a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the NICA team, and even actually in the younger groups on Adventure Bike Club, it's not uncommon if I'm in a group with kids, regardless of the age, these kids know the race stories, they know the references. And if we start going up a hill, the first thing some kid's going to do is look back at me and say, blame Todd! <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. And if they see Danny, they're going to do the same darn thing. Well, and what's what's crazy is now you can travel the country and go to events pretty much from anywhere. And you say you're from Michigan and everybody know. Did you ever think Marquette, Michigan was going to be known all over North America for having some of the craziest events out there. You know what? I didn't, I, I didn't think so. That was never the goal, but I will tell you that I would, it's what I would always, I didn't know I wanted it, but it's what I would want to see for Marquette. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we're doing this for. That's why we, it's like a force of will to just do good for the community because it, empowers the people even beyond the kids it empowers the people in the community and it makes them proud of what we're offering what people see us as that's pride yeah for the for the community um it's it's hard to be i mean you guys are essentially part of the the midwest rust belt you know old iron ore community um For a while, probably felt almost left behind. Yeah. Now, now all of a sudden, there's people in California that are a mountain biker and they're at their group ride, and people are talking about Marquette, Michigan. It's pretty wild, actually. That, that's absolutely insane to think about. I mean, in the cycling community, Marquette's more famous than Lansing, and we're the capital of the state. <laughs> <laughs> We keep saying community and building a community, but what what I was thinking as you're talking about, even the kids are saying, you know, blame Todd, blame Todd. Um, <laughs> it's it's it kind of goes beyond just community to culture, and you're creating yeah. a, a culture, a positive culture for uh, the people in Marquette. Yeah, I think um, like if we could take this, the culture, and like put it in, uh, you know, like inject it into people, especially right now, it would be cool in a way that you have, you guys haven't been up to one of the events yet. So if you won't have a reference on it. You will soon, <laughs> but, but the events, there is like, uh, obviously a kind of a twisted, um, sick sense of humor that we have about things like people know if you sign up to do the crusher, which you're doing, and it's stated as 225 miles. You're probably going to be doing 250 this year. <laughs> you're not hiding your smile very well. Yeah. <laughs> you're, we laugh- you're laughing so <laughs> But people who know us, people who are drawn to, to this, they know that. That's part of the gig. You know, Polar Roll this year, uh, we put it out as a 30-mile 
ends up at 39, just a touch under 40. And <laughs> people are like, you asshole. <laughs> but, but at the same time, they know that's, that is the deal. It's what we do. It's kind of in that guise of life isn't fair. Like, hey, I signed up for a 30-mile race. And it's like, well, we did our best. It's 40. You got 25% free. What do you want? <laughs> you know? I mean, you should have paid me more money. We really want to get right down to it. <laughs> but there is um, – I, I think we're doing a good thing for people. And this is kind of an old-school thing where um, – People just subscribe to the fact that they're going to come to these events. There's going to be some head games. They need to have their stuff together. They need to be, you know, we're not self-supported in the, in the literal sense of a self-supported event where, you know, we're not out there as like police saying, Hey, if you took a bottle from that woman on the side of the road, you know, you're disqualified. Um, our self-supported ethos is more saying you're responsible for you. Um, you signed up for this. We try to be as transparent as possible in our marketing and our messaging that it's going to be hard. Um, stuff might go wrong. Bears might eat the signs, you know, signs might fall down. Who knows what will happen? But at the end of the day, you signed up for it and you need to be prepared to sort it out. We'll help you up until the day of the race. And then you're on your own. Um, if you need a hug, call your mom. <laughs> so that culture though personally you know there are some snowflakes out there who uh, they're like oh that's so sarcastic oh that's so mean oh he's giving somebody of the finger it's like give me a break man <laughs> uh, you know that's what's wrong with the world today is everybody is offended about something like they're just out there looking to be offended about something you come to one of our races nobody's offended <laughs> they're they laughing are. at you yeah and if they are they don't come back <laughs> it's very there's a very that you know that's simple or they don't survive and they're yeah. dead somewhere on the q and <laughs> yeah. i mean we had matt omira a couple years ago he uh th that's the infamous story from the margie where he came up and um he was doing well he was at like mile he had gone through um, the transition zone once. He was on his way back the second time, so he must have been around mile 80. And I remember the guy's name, but he ended up bumping into this guy on the trail, and they're riding together. And this guy, Matt was okay. Matt felt good. His spirits were good. But he ran into this dude who was just fucking done with it. <laughs> he was over Margie Gessick. He was not blaming Danny and Todd. He hated Danny and Todd. <laughs> And he kept telling Matt, and Matt put it in his letter. He's like, this guy just kept saying, he's done. I'm quitting when I get to the park. And as they rode together, this dude poisoned Matt's mind. Oh. oh. Okay? So they roll into the park together, and Matt quits. Then Matt goes home and has, like, this <laughs> I'm being dramatic here, emotional breakdown. Where, in his words, in the letter that he sent to me, off and on for a week, he's crying, like, after the event's over. Because he can't believe that he let himself come apart the way he came apart. And just a very, it was a very heartfelt uh, and very honest assessment of what he allowed to have happened to himself from negativity, from a person who infected him with negativity. Mm. So he, 
Did you guys, did you ever hear the story about Matt? No, no, I don't know this one. Okay. Well, he had collected, I think two, maybe three tokens. Uh huh. He mailed them to me with the letter. And he said, I'm coming back next year. I want you to be at the finish line with those tokens huh. because I want them back, but I don't want them back until I've earned them back. Huh. So sure as shit, he came back the next year and I was there at the finish line with those tokens and we gave them to him. That's awesome. But now what, what year was this? That would have been, I think it was 2018. So I think 17 was the hot year. Uh-huh. I think that's when he was here in DNF'd. Um, you know, because of Mr. Negative Man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then eighteen, he came back and he and he got those tokens back. That's amazing. But yeah, it is. It's definitely, guys. It's definitely culture. I think it's a positive culture that more people could use more of in their life. Because so, we're we are we're encouraging people to approach things in in just a very straightforward. Uh, self-accountable fashion that they're going to come and do this event. There's going to be stuff that'll either go wrong intentionally because Todd's screwing with us, or uh, you know, or they're going to make a mistake, or something's going to go wrong that they're going to have to overcome. And then it's just it's just built, I think, a better sense of community. And and you know, these people are out there helping each other. You come up and do Margie, it's crazy what's going on out there now across the county to support these racers. Like people are coming up from across the country to volunteer for us or to run aid stations in the woods people they don't know. So Todd, um, we appreciate all this. I think uh, we briefly talked about it before, but I do want to ask um, kind of as we're closing up here, how, you and your family, uh, you guys doing okay in the new pandemic life? How how are we dealing with that? You know, what I see... So, okay, well, let me first say, there's my wife that works healthcare. Okay. So, you know, she's, she's in it. She's in that reality. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, volunteer coaches and a lot of parents of kids in the program who are a nurse or a doctor... Or they're in the healthcare world. The reality right now in hospitals across the country is not good. Right. So, so I wanted to, I guess, give a shout to everybody in healthcare because that's that's tough, man. I, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine it. Yeah. There's there's nothing harder than that right now. Right. That's like the ultimate Margie Gessick experience. It's the front lines. Front lines for sure. But you know, as far as the situation goes, I guess. Everybody's talking about all the uncertainty, and I'm giving the air quotes there, uncertainty. Yeah. And I agree. You know, when we come out of this, things are probably going to be different. I don't know in what way they're going to be different. But I think, first of all, the only reason that people are talking about all this uncertainty is actually driven more off the fact they're not in their comfort zones right now. You know, their life has been disruptive, and they're not able to go through the motions like they're used to doing. Or they're just, not, they're just not able to run through the, the basic sequence of events that they typically do on a normal day. So all of a sudden now, because they're out of their comfort zone, um, things seem so uncertain. But my God, 
every fucking day that we get up is uncertain. It's just that I don't think that we think about it. So I think for me, that's a takeaway right now because you should, I think that you should approach life and, and each day with a little more of a realization of the uncertainty that we're faced with when we take our head off that pillow. And it gives you a little better sense of our mortality. And I think if just by framing it that way, that this, this could happen at any time or things worse than this could happen at any time, you know, it, it should hopefully help people reframe what's important. I mean, we know, and when I say we, I'm pointing at you guys, but I'm saying as a community of outdoor you know, enthusiasts, uh, we know what's important to us as far as getting out there on our bike and disconnecting for an hour, two hours, three hours, or, you know, 30 hours. <laughs> I can only hope for every American out there that they come out of it with a better understanding or re-realization of the, just the value in disconnecting. That's what I see as a huge opportunity right now. I've spent more quality time with my wife and my kids and I'm still working here from the house in my office. Um, but I've seen them more and spent more time with them in the last two weeks than I have in the past seven years almost hmm. of consistent quality time. And that's no kidding because I'll tell you, as we got you know, 906 up and rolling and spun this wheel up, it's been like six years of 16-plus-hour days are not uncommon. So it's for us, it's nice to have this opportunity to kind of even for us reevaluate and say, boy, what if we, you know, what if we prioritize us a little bit more, even when this is done? Right. You know, kind of going back to the 906, I mean, right now, I, I, you just put something out a couple days ago about how the plan is to just stick with the plan. There's no reason to change your events or change. Um, I guess even with the kids and everything, there's probably, that's probably far enough down the line, but uh, you have to be thinking about that a little bit, right? Yeah. The kids stuff, we, we moved all, we did have dates out on the kids stuff and we moved, uh, including registration. We moved it to TBD. Sure. Um, you know, the program wouldn't start until June. So we have time. We, we were going to do it early to help create some enthusiasm for the dirt season that's coming, and it gives us more time to do a couple new things we wanted to do this year. But now we might have to adjust, and you know we're going to see where the guidelines go, how this plays out. Hopefully we can still start in time on in June for the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, if we can't, we'll push it back. Uh, Margie Camp, the Crusher, and Margie Gessick, I mean, my take on it right now is – I don't feel compelled that I have to make a change at this exact moment. Yeah. And we're going to remain flexible and see where it all goes. Mar Margie camp isn't until June, correct? Yeah. It's like the last, <clears throat> I think it's like the 25th. 26th. Okay. So you have the end of June and then July is crusher. And then Margie is September. Uh, September. So you, you have a little bit of time. Um, before you have to make those calls, I'm hoping. I feel, I feel comfortable in saying that I feel like uh, Margie will be safe in September. Mm -hmm. Crusher, I could go either way right now. You know, I don't. 
I'm, right now we're still doing it, but I wouldn't be shocked if we got down the road and had to change it. That wouldn't surprise me. Sure. The uh, youth stuff, you know, depending on how far this pushes into the summer and also what this, uh, the schools do. I mean, I don't know if the kids are going to be going to school in the summer or what the hell that's going to look like. Yeah. You know, our offering for the kids this year, might it might actually force some innovation on our end. It might have us doing something new, something we haven't done before. So I'm looking at it all as a positive. We've been brainstorming some ideas, but we're going to have to wait to see how the calendar plays out. Yeah. We've been trying to do this and connect for a while. And, you know, it's, it, it is like exactly what you were saying. We're kind of creating a good opportunity out of a bad opportunity. And we're all kind of stuck at home. And we have a little bit of time to maybe Skype and, and get this interview out. So thank you for taking the time and talking with us. This is fantastic gave me a reason to drink two guinnesses tonight there you go <laughs> well i'm again find the positive right this right. whole situation brought us together tonight so uh it was good talking to you guys hey i can't wait to see you in june uh yeah same with trevor hopefully june uh july 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 or july 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 yeah. yeah let's just talk about it like it's gonna happen i'm oh, still yeah. i'm still planning on it so yeah well, if, any, if anything, uh, it's going to be perfect uh, social distancing over 230 miles. You're going to get spread out. That, that's definitely one thing the pressure's all about is social distancing. <laughs> 200, 250 miles. Don't, don't forget that. We, <laughs> we're quoting him on that. <laughs> Everybody that says uh, 230, I'm like, what are you? 20 miles short of the finish line or what are you doing? <laughs> well, well now, now the problem is, is we're going to let everyone know it's 250. He's like, oh, now I have to make it 270. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, have a great night. You too, Todd. Todd. Great Thank talking you. to you. All right. Take care. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. Call our hotline 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Thank you again to Todd Poquette, and thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack. And don't be a quitter. (laughs) 